On this week's episode, we're going to talk about what else? Barbenheimer. Yes, I've been I've been converted. I know. We'll go with the masses and call it Barbenheimer, and we'll uh, we'll talk about these two movies uh, on this week's episode. You're listening to Where We Are. You are listening to Where We Are. We are the Where's. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And Melissa kind of lied in the opener of the episode. We're not just talking uh, a Barbenheimer. We're talking Bearbeheimer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, you like that? Bearbeheimer. Bearbeheimer. I think it works. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we've had a great week anniversary we're taking a little trip this weekend which should be great uh but the main the main real update in our lives is that uh it's been a great entertainment week mm-hmm. we finished the bear second season we uh we did the double feature last night yeah we saw oppenheimer and then barbie which I think is the way to do it. Yeah, everybody's arguing the opposite, and I, I don't under no. No, for no. sure, no. I, I mean, maybe if you're, what, like 18 and on have had like eight coffees, and you just are, no, I, I think it's not the Oppenheimer's boring. It's just, it's you're going to, you're going to, it's three hours. You're going to want stamina for for oppenheimer and then barbie flies by after you've seen oppenheimer like i I was just like whoa this is the pacing of this is incredible um so let's let's talk about uh, first we i do just want to talk about the bear yeah which has everything i love Mm -hmm. italians cooking Chicago, I love Chicago. Rust Belt sensibilities. Rust Belt sensibilities. Uh, a really cute, heartaching, uh, heartbreaking love story. Uh huh. Multiple love stories, really. True, true. Wow, that's deep, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Melissa, why? I mean, so we do. I think we overlap on what we watch quite a bit. I know some couples where like they they don't watch anything anything together. We do. There are some shows I watch that you won't watch, and some shows you watch. I but like in the premium, and I know the bear is FX, but like in the premium sort of drama, we probably like eighty percent will watch together. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's good overlap there, but why? But the bear, like, you really, like, picked up on it early on. Like, you were wanting to stay up, watch episodes. What did what did you like about the bear? I like the pacing. I like that the episodes can be anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, and I really like, because I don't like cooking, and I think that cooking is such an art, and I think... That when you get to the Michelin star level, the you know world's top fifty level, that it is breathtaking, super interesting, high stakes, high pressure, and they tried to bring this into a little Chicago restaurant called the Beef, 
that is a family, you know, a family legacy that it's handed down um, from the main character. His name is Carmi or Carmen from his brother who, um, who, who died by suicide. And so it, it, this Carmi, he is a world renowned chef, highly trained. They, you know, in the show, they, they talk about, you know, several of the big names. They allude to like the kitchens of Alinea in Chicago. 11 Madison Park. 11 Madison Park. Noma. Noma. Which is, it which was in the Netherlands or Denmark. Yeah, Denmark. Denmark, which is closing, actually, which is unfortunate. But I love the world of Michelin star cooking, and so it kind of brings you into that. And so far, I mean, the show is so memeable. You hear people saying, yes, chef, or cousin. Like, just these things, like, if you watch it, like, you'll immediately know exactly what we're talking about within the first 10 minutes. But the other thing about it that... I love is that I did not grow up in an Italian American family, but I started dating you at 16. So I got uh, sort of thrown into it pretty early in my life. And the show depicts an Italian American family like with a lot of accuracy. You know, not saying that all Italian American families are monoliths, especially because this particular Italian American family has, that a is has a lot of problems. But identify with a lot of it. The Rust Belt sensibilities, I really identify with in it. Um, Especially with like working class issues, like that's sort of intertwined throughout. And then the Catholic identity of the family at hand, that in the first season, it's always quietly in the background. And like the imagery of the of Catholicism there's little references and then as you get into the second season because we don't want to give away any spoilers especially for folks who are still on the first season or haven't even started uh it becomes even more explicit as you go on there there is an episode in the second season that depicts a Christmas dinner feast of the seven fishes that episode is probably one of the most masterful episodes I've ever seen in my life. It's going to win all the Emmys. And then the episode after it is pretty much just as masterful, which I could not believe that a TV show two episodes in a row could do something so well. But the Catholicism in that sixth episode in the second season is just interspersed throughout. And it kind of just shows like the ebb and flow of like a family that grew up Catholic that has it sort of in the background, but also seems to be a foundation for them and a comfort for them um, and a culture for them. I, I, I really love when TV shows handle the, re- the many different ways that religiosity can look but a in real, families across the U.S. I sense, Melissa, like a real... Hesitancy to stare Christianity right in the face. Yes. So it's like it's like in the backdrop, but because of the layers of trauma the family has gone through, mm-hmm. it is like a comfort, but a comfort that they don't want to get too close to. Um. Yeah, it, it, it's um, Bridget Rita um, wrote a wonderful piece for America Magazine on Catholic imagery in the Bear. I would urge folks to check it out. I'd say the other religion pieces. You know, he attends an AA meeting. Yeah, and it's always in a church. Uh, it always shows a, him watching, walk, walking into a church. And that was a big 
you know, uh, interestingly, like that was kind of a big, um, there was a big Willard point. Willard admired AA quite a bit, but he said AA was only necessary because that kind of work could no longer take place, generally speaking, in the church. And so AA had to be created because, uh, because the local church, in so many instances, had become the kind of place that actually um, uh, disincentivizes people being honest about what they're struggling with. Disincentivizes, yes. sort of. So, so that's, I guess, just a bit of an aside. But yeah, it's a great show. I mean, it is a lot of some combination of. It being uh, a kitchen and, uh, you know, the background. There's a lot of, there's a lot of vulgarity in the show. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think with, with sensitivities there, I, I do think it's a, I do think it's a wonderful, um, wonderful show. I can't wait for, for the third season. I know. Um, Me too. And so, yeah, would kind of with everything we're talking about on the show, one of the reasons we're talking about it is because we can't wait to hear what you all think of all this. So what do you think about the bear? Let us know on social media or send us an email. Uh, let us know what where we are. Substack.com. Uh, Melissa, uh, uh, Barbenheimer is fresh on our minds. We saw it last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it like it like it's just one <laughs> like it's just one thing. We saw Barbenheimer last night. Uh, we saw both movies last night. Um, let's talk Oppenheimer. Okay. I've been waiting for this movie to come out for a long time. Uh, I as as we both do care about nukes quite a bit. We've both learned a lot from our friend Tyler Rick Stevenson, previous guest on the yep, on the pod. On episode eleven. On episode eleven, um, I recently joined the board of uh, Plowshares, um, uh, which is a um, an organization with the mission uh, to see the reduction and eventual elimination of nuclear weapons. So I was anticipating this. This this movie um, and and looking forward to it. We also love Christopher Nolan. Yeah, we really love. I really love Christopher Nolan. Uh, we're gonna try and avoid spoilers here, yes. so we'll do the best to avoid spoilers. But Melissa, maybe give a bit of a rundown and a few reflections, and then I have a couple things that I've been thinking about that we didn't discuss. They'll be new to mm. you uh, um, that we didn't discuss right after we saw the movie. Yeah, but what what. What, what stuck out to you? What did you think? Yeah, I felt like... Because Nolan based this, uh, this movie off of a book on Oppenheimer. J. Robert Oppenheimer, who, if you look in any history book, you know, for U.S. history, or, you know, you take an international relations course, you learn about this guy as the father of the nuclear weapon. He was the basically the project manager of the Manhattan Project, which was based in Los Alamos, New Mexico, during the 40s, during World War II, right when World War II was sort of coming to an end after um, Hitler had died. But um, 
the United States and Japan were still at odds with one another. And Oppenheimer is was a physicist. They say that he was a brilliant physicist. And so Nolan switches back between, as he is kind of sort of obsessed with, he tells the story not in sort of linear time, and he uses color and sound in really interesting ways to present um, Oppenheimer's sort of timeline between being an early physicist in Europe to transferring to the United States where um, uh, the type of work that he was doing was not being done in the United States and then to the point where he joins basically the U.S. military in order to build the first atomic weapon in a race with Germany and then all of the fallout way after he dropped, way after um, the first two bombs were dropped in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in the 50s where his security clearance was revoked because of his ties to the Communist Party in the United States. So it follows that trajectory on various timelines, which is super interesting. I always really like when, when Nolan does that, but I do know that a lot of people don't like that. Um, and I hope that I just, I don't think I've given away much no, there. No, no. But that's, that's, a, that's a basic synopsis. We know where we're going here. And... You know, with the trailer, I really didn't know what to expect with the yes, film. Like, what totally. the perspective was that Nolan was going to take, like, who Oppenheimer was. But really, the sort of morality and the ethics behind the work that Oppenheimer was ultimately responsible for. And that the United States, the president, the military was responsible for um, when they did drop the two bombs in the fort. And um, right at the end, to end World War II. And... I think decidedly that Oppenheimer uh, that Oppenheimer is presented as somebody who I think one of the most interesting things that Nolan did was sort of take the idea that scientists during this time previously with like in the Einstein era so like the 1900s I mean you've probably seen a bunch of different movies that cover the various famous people who founded you know new mathematical problems or new theorems or, you know, invented huge things that, you know, really changed the trajectory of some kind of industry, uh, that Oppenheimer was a, theor- was a theoretical physicist, so he worked really on theory and on ideas. And Nolan takes, <laughs> no pun intended, this idea that Oppenheimer working solely on ideas and then actually bringing it to the real world was just... Um, Nolan is interviewed as saying it's naive, but in the end, Nolan, I think, also makes the decision to present Oppenheimer as somebody who was responsible for what happened, who made very bad choices by actually taking things further um, in terms of saying, okay, yes, let's be in an arms race with Germany to build this atomic weapon. I can help you do it. I'll be your project lead kind of thing. Um I found that to be very interesting. I think it's the right choice to make. But this this sort of theme around what do ideas do and how dangerous are ideas and this idea that when you sort of spend all of your time in theory, once that theory hits the real world, it has real world consequences. And to be constantly giddy around your ideas, you know, sort of, and come what may, who cares, um, as long as I get to test out, you know, these theories that I've been working on. Like, that's the sort of, like, feeling that he puts behind the the beginning of the film that I found to be pretty profound and pretty accurate to, I think, a lot of 
the worst inventions that we've had in human history and a lot of like the worst movements in history around how a lot of the times it's from just a one idea or a few ideas a bunch of people say yes to it and don't really care or care to think about the consequences until things have happened and that's sort of where nolan takes you to and has you and has you sit in as a viewer yeah i mean so i i think and you know this gets into the movie maybe a bit too much i i i don't think it's a matter of I think there are multiple points along the way in which the ethical consider considerations are do come up. Oppenheimer takes he's clearly cognizant the 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 whole way through. I don't I don't think there's a who cares kind of attitude. Here's one of the things that I what what word would you say is said more than any other word in that movie? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I compartmentalize. Oh yes, and it comes up You're every right. single yes, time yes, 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 yes. in the context of security procedures at Los Alamos that uh, that uh, uh, that. You know, everyone can't shouldn't know everything. You know, on a need to know basis, uh, you know, information has to be quarantined off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Nolan uses the word so much that today I just could not help but thinking, uh, but but think uh, he meant something else with, with that. <laughs> There's no way why it should be such a central idea and I think it's a double entendre I think well so much of the movie focuses on this compartmentalization as a security measure from others from the Russians or the or uh, the Germans uh, sort of getting information the real way the other security measure was Everyone involved in making the bomb has to compartmentalize their role because if they think about the project as a whole, if they think about it as this is obviously where it's going, then they'd have a culpability that they so avoid taking throughout the whole thing. And so at, at several times, and usually it's when rarely is it said in a convincing way, it's usually as a last-ditch sort of effort, like Oppenheimer will say, um, you know, it, it's 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 not our role to decide what happens with this. That's not our responsibility. Uh, our responsibility was sort of this this part, and it's it's others. And now, of course, he doesn't act like that. He spends a lot of his life and career trying to influence policy decisions. But I do think that that double entendre of compartmentalization and almost like watching the movie again with that in mind would be an, would be an interesting thing. The second thing, which is second, I have three points. The, the second point, which is basically what, what you were saying, which is the momentum that ideas have. The, the complete inability 
of the, the policymakers, of the scientists, of, of anyone involved to pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. It was like once it was conceived that this was possible, the rest was rationalization. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's discussion, you know, after Germany's defeated. Well, we, should we stop now? The, the whole justification was, yes, this is evil, but, uh, I mean, there's a great line that's in the trailer, so I don't feel like I'm, uh, at one point, Oppenheimer says, look, I don't, I don't know if America can be trusted with, with the bomb, mm-hmm. but I know the Nazis can't be. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, just this idea of momentum, this in this 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 the inevitability, seemingly uh, of technology, and obviously, I think about that obviously in, in the context of the nuke, as we discussed uh, last night. Uh, the bomb depicted in Oppenheimer is magnitudes, magnitudes, magnitudes less powerful than the bombs, than, than the nukes that we have today. Yes. But I also think about it in the context of AI and think about it. Oh, kind of, trust You me. know, so uh-huh. like, all, all, so the, the sort of, uh, and I actually think viewing those, those kinds of technological developments through the lens of, of Oppenheimer and the new is is helpful because with AI it's so there's so much mudding of the waters. Well, we don't know what's really going to happen. It's going to help some industries. Yeah, it's going to harm some others. But but uh, like with a bomb, usually people have enough sense that the the the, the arguments that oh this is going to be a positive thing, which are made mm-hmm. that oh well this will be a deterrent. Da da da. Uh, and there's a great exchange in the movie. I won't relay here on that point. Um, uh, but but generally, people understand, like the, the 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 idea that there's a better chance of this working out well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they they felt forced to do it, but <laughs> it, it was not. They could not convince themselves. Like, oh, this is going to be like uh, uh, amazing. Except, well. Some characters do convince themselves of that, and we'll uh, we'll leave that. Um, here's the third point I want to make. Okay. There's, without getting too into the into details, there is. Um, there's there's a a plot line of sort of corruption mm-hmm. and misuse of power. Yes. Now, I think what's odd is that it plays out in the government arena. Mm-hmm. However. And so I think I think it's easy for people to say the people will watch this movie and say how dirty politics is. 
you know, how, you know, this is just one more example of these politicians are all, you know, awful people. They're all mm-hmm. out, out for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But none of the people involved are first and foremost. I mean, none of the central actors, uh, 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 none of the central figures involved are principally political figures. Mm-hmm. They're in they're in science, which is supposed to be this unassailable sort of no science. We just go based on the evidence and and research. And if in other words, I I think the movie has as much of a condemnation for science as it does for politics, if not more for science. So many of the scientific processes are gamed. There's so much like small p politics in whose ideas are able to uh, prevail, who wins like faculty um, uh, uh, disagreements. And I think that's, I think a lot of people are going to miss that. I think a lot of people are going to read whatever the, they're going to read the small p politics stuff as government, politicians, Policymakers being self-interested. You watch this movie with the idea that it's that, and, and I'm not trying to. This isn't science is the worst. I think what it is is a politics is not the only arena where this stuff happens, and b that it's it's human nature. It can't. It, it like like it, it. It is what we see play out in human relations, and one of the reasons why we so often attribute it to politics is that politics is such a, uh, a fundamentally human endeavor. Yeah. B- but watch this movie intentionally, keeping in mind uh, that that this is academia. This is science. Yes, there are some government folks involved, but, but I think that's a really, a, a, a really um, incisive aspect of the film. Yeah, uh, I think you've. I wasn't. I don't. I'm actually. I don't think what I what I sort of discussed at the beginning was as articulate as I could have made it because that third point is kind of what I was starting to try to get at, but I don't think I had fully formed in my head is that. Nolan really focused in on the ivory tower here at the beginning and the kind of arms race that happens in academia around Mm. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this arms race to be published, to be the first to be published, to get to the idea first, to have an original idea, which it's very funny at that whole point of where there is like the sort of race to can there actually be a bomb who's actually solved the math problem that it takes to even jump into actually being able to create the bomb and enrich the uranium or plutonium is it reminded me of a beautiful mind where the entire Mm. um that's a ron howard film came out in 2003 starring russell crowe and the entire motif behind that film was john nash um who created game theory a widely used Change the industry. Um, th- uh, idea change e- multiple, yeah, multiple, multiple industries, industry, yeah. idea and economics. That John Nash was obsessed with one original idea, and it showed the scientists constantly in competition with one another. Again, the small p politics in an arms race 
themselves to be the first to the idea, to be the first to take the theory into reality. And it's not a who, I I didn't articulate who cares. It was the hubris behind it all. Yes. That sort of took all of the moral checks and the ethical checks that did come along the way where there would be a bit of doubt. And then the compartmentalization helped to sort of suppress all of that. Like someone else is going to do it. If I don't do it, like. But the the hubris, the hubris was the driving, it bulldozed all of the ethical and moral questions until in the end, you know, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, I don't want to give away exactly how it's depicted in the film. It is. Nolan made clear choices about it. I don't know if I exactly agree with how he chose to represent the two, but it is wildly powerful. I bawled my eyes out. Yes. Um, mainly because, like, I'm already very aware of what nuclear weapons do, what they are, Um I actually at one point was trained in how exactly they're built. Like I could do the math kind of thing. Like it was very complicated, but it was to, it was in order to understand the magnitude of the things that humans have built. But the kind of just pure chaos and destruction that this particular idea wrought on the world, and it's the and it's just something that in the film. There is a point where with Hiroshima and Nagasaki that will like punch you in the yeah. gut. Yeah, yeah, One last thing, and I think this sort of dives deep into the points that you were making as well in terms of the small p politics amongst the players at hand, is that in the end, Nolan very cleverly with Oppenheimer and with another character, because I just don't want to go into details, between Oppenheimer and another character, there is mutually assured destruction between the two of them. Yes. No, 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 no. You need to you need to spell this out. For and us. so, mutually assured destruction is just a concept in nuclear warfare that says is, and it's specifically between Russia and the United States, the two nuclear powers that hold the most um, warheads, weapons that can deliver the warheads. Is that you know, say Russia fires at the United States, the United States will respond, and the two are so armed that we will destroy one another. It's mutually assured destruction, which is part of. It's something, the deterrence thing that you mentioned before that is mentioned in the film early on as a sort of like, hey, this is okay that we're doing this because actually this is going to bring peace through deterrence. Well, it's also peace through mutually assured destruction that nobody wants to set off another bomb after Hiroshima and Nagasaki because we will all die. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just to be frank. And in the film, Nolan, I think, just is so clear with, Oppenheimer himself, I don't think that there's really redemption for him in the film. Um, I see some people saying, oh, like it was morally complex. And I'm like, I don't think it was complex at all for Nolan. I I think he pretty clearly stands on the side that Oppenheimer made some really poor choices. And by poor choices, you know, he had blood on his hands. And then uh, there's another character involved, but I'm not going to go for deeper into it just because I know many listeners have not seen the film yet. And yeah, but you did lean over to me, say the phrase mutually assured destruction, and I was like, uh, yeah, I would not have thought of that, but that is exactly, exactly right. And I can't wait to read a quote where Christopher Nolan <laughs> you know, refers to that. All right, let's move to Barbie. Yeah, Barbie was super interesting. Very interesting following Oppenheimer. Uh, 
It was, Michael and I, to be completely clear, we are Greta Gerwig fans. Greta Gerwig is the person who directed the film. She also directed Little Women uh, four years ago um, and directed Lady Bird. So those are her two other really celebrated films. And I think she's just a director who is deeply earnest, uh, is a beautiful screenplay writer. I think she understands a lot of the dynamics of women, the dynamics between mothers and daughters in profound ways. And so you and I are just very big fans of her. And so for her to have directed Barbie, which if you're like us, I went into Barbie having no idea what it was going to be about. The trailers were very opaque. And I today still can't decide whether or not I even liked the film. (laughs) And that's not to say that I didn't think it was good. I just... Oppenheimer, I think, hit me so hard and is just so embedded into my interest, the, the subject matter, that even Greta Gerwig like could not overcome that, even though everybody, you you know, if you felt like, oh, I think I'm going to see that, definitely go see it. Uh, Greta Gerwig has fantastic comedic writing. I mean, there are some parts in the film that were just I think it's the funniest so movie to funny. come out in years. Yes, the funniest movie to come out in years. Ryan Gosling as Ken is spectacular. Like, he almost overdoes the character because he, he's so good at it. And it was refreshing. There, America Ferrera is in the film, and I won't say who she is and what part she plays, but she was also really refreshingly good. I haven't seen her in a lot. And the set and sets, I should say, and the costumes and all the various supporting actors, I felt was super interesting and well done. And then, you know, uh, there is a really great review out right now at Vox from Alyssa Wilkinson, one of our favorite film critics. And she, she gave a great Oppenheimer review. You should go definitely read that. But her Barbie review talks about how she thinks that the film follows Genesis, but in sort of on-its-head type ways. And I think that that review is really insightful for the film, and I absolutely felt it while watching it. That And Greta basically said as much. And yeah. Greta basically said as much. Now, one of the other reasons why you and I like Greta Gerwig is that she has a ton of religious motifs in her film. Yes. And she uh, she grew up religious. She grew up Unitarian Universalist. And she brings that in. And she also has had a lot of experiences with other sort of sects of Christianity. And, you know, in a New York Times piece just this past week, she talked about her friend who was Jewish and how um, – uh, her friend's father would bless her at the table and like how profound that was to her and how it relates to the film. And so I really love that Gerwig handles, again, kind of like the bear handles religion in deeply respectful, profound, complex, very just sort of visceral ways. And Barbie somehow is one of those films where she's able to do it again, which was very surprising to me. Did you like the film? What do you think? I did. I, I liked it. I thought some of the, I thought some of the, um, I thought some of the politics felt outdated, and yes. just like trying, yes, felt. I, some of the little political throwaway lines felt beneath Greta. Yes, I do think there's a self consciousness in the film 
that this is a Mattel, this is this is a corporate prompted movie. And so basically, for those who don't know, Mattel, this is the first in what will be a series of movies that are focused uh, based off of Mattel IP. And so Mattel really wooed Greta Gerwig to do this. No, Greta insists that they had that she had creative control, but there is, they also discuss like that there were conversations and that Mattel executives pushed back on some, some parts and some concessions were made, others were not. Um, and I feel like there's a self-consciousness through the movie that, that does, that, 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 I felt like some of the political lines were trying to like make up for for that. Um, yes, I agree. And I think lacked some of the depth of what we know Greta is capable of in terms of, at least on the surface of, yeah. of sort of political and cultural commentary. But here's the thing is if, you know, things had to be written the way that they were written. I w wouldn't want anybody else but Greta Gerwig oh, to deliver it because she did her best, and you could tell kind of thing. No, I, yeah. I, so I want to be clear. Uh, I think it deserves awards. I yes. think it's a best screenplay nominee and yeah. probably winner. Yeah, I think it is such a it's clever, sur clever, surprising deep take you know it, it was interesting i thought the mother daughter angle was gonna be like the end of mm -hmm. the movie yeah. like that would be typically how yes, how it would it go yes and right. instead it basically closes the first act yes and she had something bigger she wanted to say although i will say if you're a parent particularly a parent of girls uh, you will 100% cry during this movie. Yeah, like that like closing 100%. of Act 1 oh, got me. Man. Yes, because again, I think Greta Gerwig is probably one of probably the most masterful director out there when it comes to mother-daughter relationships. Yeah. Bar none, it's basically her magnum opus, I think, that sort of covers her career. Um Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, so I I I I really Liked the movie. I thought that it was uh, life-affirming as all of Greta's work is. Yes, and the, one of the things that I said last night was while Christopher Nolan's film was about the denigration of ideas or the consequences or the destruction of ideas, the destruction that ideas can have, sorry, is that this film, Barbie, is definitely a celebration of ideas. So to actually have them marketed together was kind of hilarious in that way because you you have one and the other sort of happening. And I felt like the marketing around Barbie was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. I have never seen marketing so penetrating in my life. I see Barbie everywhere with teamed up with like hundreds of brands they've built entire homes out in california that are barbie dream homes <laughs> um and so i think that that's something that needs to be talked about a bit more and then i do think that 
the previews the previews that we saw with both films were fascinating to me because you and I don't really go to the movies a lot anymore because COVID happened and children happened. And I used to really look forward to... Two very different things. Yes. Uh, it's not, uh, <laughs> not... She means those in two very different ways. So before... B- so before, <laughs> before both of those things happened, previews, trailers, used to be one of my favorite things about going to the movies. Because especially if you would see a big blockbuster or one of the films that you know was most likely going to be up for at least an Oscar or two, it would always come with fantastic trailers. And I felt like the trailers were lacking before either movie. And then with this strike happening um, with writers and some actors, and we know that a bunch of stuff is about to be delayed for several years, I kept on thinking to myself that we're about to hit a dearth possibly of the culture making that happens out in Hollywood and, and and in filmmaking and TV making elsewhere that... Makes me a bit nervous. Um, at least we have Dune 2 to look forward to. At least we have we, Dune 2. We know Correct. Dune 2 is going to come out. Yeah. But I do think that Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out in this time in summer of 2023 signals, I think, a few things about how people are feeling culturally and socially. Where with the UK, you know, I, I was went back and listened to our, our episode 11 on nuclear war with... Tyler Rick Stevenson, and it was a week after the Ukraine war started. And, you know, the first three to four weeks of the Ukraine war last year in 2022, a lot of the conversation was around, uh, wait, hold up. The United States has how many nuclear weapons and Russia has how many and Russia might use nuclear weapons in Ukraine? What does that mean? Who would die with this spread into Europe? Like you had people thinking about nukes again, that it's interesting that Oppenheimer has come out this year and people thinking about that kind of destruction, whereas Barbie is also kind of reflective of like a big cultural icon, also from around similar times that Oppenheimer actually takes place in because the original Barbie was created like decades ago and during a very different time. And Barbie used to represent, you know, a certain kind of thing and has evolved throughout the years. And that's kind of what the Barbie film is about. I think these kinds of reflections on these ideas um, from the you know 40s, 50s, and 60s coming out now at a time of a lot of political, social, cultural upheaval is interesting to me. I don't I don't have fully formed thoughts on that, and I don't know if I've been clear at all with the opener I've just given. But do you do you have thoughts towards that, Michael? Before we end, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think both. I, I think. The fact that they were released together, it's like a, a brief survey of the wreckage of the 20th century. Two very different takes in very different <laughs> yes. ways, uh, but um, the sort of curdling, the curdling that took place in the 20th century, uh, there was the idea heading into the 20th century that we had finally gotten beyond uh, religion and religious wars. And because of that, like we were on the brink of, of, uh, of peace um, and then world war one happened and world war two uh, as Oppenheimer covers 
there was this idea that sort of in the post-World War II institution building, and really you could think of the nuke as a kind of institution, like that these were all going to be supporting structures of peace. And of course, we look back and see just how foolish that was and how how foolish some of the idealistic technocratic thinking of the 20th century was. And then, you know, you look at Barbie uh, and, you know, I think, you, you know, the, 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 the tension of the movie and it opens up with this is this idea that, you know, Barbie, at, at least in, in Greta's telling, like Barbie announced this, sort of liberation of 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 women uh and of course we look back on that as barbie is as liberatory um and, and see how foolish that was and so it's a, just very interesting that the 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 nuke was supposed to be so powerful that war would be ended Barbie was supposed to be this sort of symbol of women's lib. And we now sit at a time where uh, Me Too, um, all the concerns about uh, young girls and their self-image and self-esteem and depression, etc. And the nuke actually paralyzing the U.S. from being able to act to defend Ukraine more directly because of this concern that it will lead to nuclear war. So, yeah. so like the lies of both eras, the, the the lies of both products, for lack of a better term, we now know that they 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 were they were not true to varying degrees. You're right, Melissa. Like Greta kind of holds out hope that like. Yeah, like the the experiment hasn't like with Barbie like hasn't gone perfectly. Yes. But like but but she expresses this like kind of hope that like maybe as we evolve Barbie will evolve too and like mm-hmm. uh, like that kind of thing. It's more dire with Oppenheimer. Yes. But but yeah, I think I think that is that there is definitely something something to that. And this will make sense once you see Barbie, because I don't want to get into a spoiler here, but there is compartmentalization in Barbie as well that happens. Yes. That leads that the actually overflows into actually creating destruction. Oh, that's the whole movie. Yeah. No, but now yeah, that yeah, I yeah. put together what you've said about Oppenheimer, yes, I'm like, yes, wait, yes. the exact same thing happened. What What if they, did they create these movies together? Like, why were we marketed them together? Who started that? I'm no, now so suspicious. This, so this is my new, this is my new take. They are, they are, they are, what holds them together is how mid 20th century zeitgeist they are. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think they are both commentaries and critiques of that World War II, post-World War II period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. All, All right. right. Well, hey, uh, you need to see both these movies, I think. I mean, well, look, if if they're not for you, they're not for you. So I don't want to 
if they're for you, you need to see both these movies. <laughs> they're both worth seeing. And then we want to hear what you thought of them. So again, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, Melissa, we're going to New- we're going to New York. We are. You're gonna see some shows. Yep, we're gonna eat a lot of Italian food, a lot of pastries. We're going to the Bronx. We've never done that. We've never done like the the little Italy of the Bronx, and yep, I'm very I'm so excited, excited about that. Um, and should be a good time. All right, friends. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been a cultural episode of uh, where we are. We'll be back with you next week. Bye.